You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Just 40 days after the last driver hit a Metro Vancouver overpass, it's happened again with a driver smashing into the 112th Street overpass on Highway 99 in Delta, creating traffic chaos and backups more than three kilometers long. Our Angela Jung joins us live from Delta tonight. Uh, Angela, this is not the first time this particular trucking company has been responsible for one of these crashes. Sophie Chohan Freight Forwarders has been involved in several overpass collisions. According to the Ministry of Transportation, it has been involved in six overpass collisions in the past two years, including this one. Now, let me step out of the way so you can get a better look. As you can see, crews are still out here this hour assessing the damage. Up top, you can see a huge crack along the overpass. It's unclear when this stretch of Highway 91 will be reopened. It is, it is expected to be closed for some time. The bridge strike happened around 12.15 this afternoon, creating a traffic nightmare. The flatbed semi appears to be carrying construction material and a huge metal beam is wedged into the 112th Street overpass. Exposed rebar can be seen hanging from the structure. Chohan Freight Forwarders is a repeat offender that has been involved in a third of the overpass collisions in the past few years. So we spoke to someone from the company today who didn't mince words and blames the driver for not waiting before getting his permit and route directions for the oversized load. Um, we have done every single safety protocol that you can think of, working with CBSC, working with the ministry, of transportation to make sure that the public is safe at all times. Um, you know, I, I've been with Chohan for seven years and they're a fantastic company and they go to great lengths. We have extensive safety and training protocols in place, screening, you know, and quite frankly, I think it just boils down to driver lack of common sense. All right, just to clarify, that overpass uh, strike happening on Highway 99 in Delta. Angela, what is the Ministry of Transportation saying about all of this? Well, the ministry says it is frustrated that this has happened yet again, so it has taken swift action by suspending this company's uh, operations, meaning all 65 vehicles in this company's fleet will not be on BC roads. It expects it will cost the company tens of thousands of dollars. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that. Angela Jung reporting live in Delta tonight. The discovery of human remains in Chilliwack has prompted a large police presence and has unsettled residents in the area. Sources tell Global News a body was found in what's being described as a troubling scene. Rumina Dea reports. Global News has received multiple reports that a body part was discovered by a member of the public on Christmas Eve. IHIT now confirming human remains have been located. Homicide investigators first deployed Wednesday. They are focusing on a house on Princess Avenue in Chilliwack, which is a few doors down from a shelter. Neighbors say it is a known drug house. Multiple forensic officers have been on scene taking photographs and gathering evidence. IHIT says the victim is 35-year-old Corey Douglas Farmer of Chilliwack. IHIT released a picture in the hopes that anyone with information about Farmer leading up to his death will come forward. 
Residents tell us police have been on scene since Christmas Eve when the human remains were first reported to Chilliwack RCMP. The public frustrated. It's taken this long for any details to be revealed. This is not a good area. This is not an area like you'd, I wouldn't, you wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be down here not in a car. Like I'm, I would be nervous to live here. Lack of communication with RCMP. And this is a continual issue in our area. Like the rumor mill is just going amok. And, you know, I've lived in this community forever, and I know a lot of residents. I know people that live in the general area, and it's very unnerving for them, especially people with kids. Kids running up and down the streets, and they don't even know what's going on. I think some basic information would be, you know, really a good thing for people's mental health and for their physical safety. We spoke to several people at the shelter who are extremely devastated. They said Farmer was a good guy. This is extremely sad news. Romina Dea, Global News. Three generations of one family are being forced out of their Delta home. It's been a roller coaster of uncertainty for them after the tenancy board first ruled the eviction wasn't allowed and an appeal later overturned that decision. And to make matters worse, now there's an added complication of cancer surgery. Catherine Urquhart reports. You got to help Nana Jess because I got to look for okay. a place here. Kim Kennel is desperately searching for a home for herself, her 80-year-old mother, and disabled daughter. They're being evicted. And next week, Kim says she's undergoing surgery for pancreatic cancer. Really, really stressed out. I'm trying to compose myself for the surgery, which I just found out about. But we also have to leave this premises on January 31st by 3 o'clock. Since 2014, Kim has been paying about $2,000 to rent part of this house in Delta. In recent months, she has been in a battle with the landlord who claims he wants to move his son into the suite. Kim claims it's a rent eviction. The landlord came in twice throughout the years and said if we didn't agree with the rent increase, which was way above the normal percentage that the government proposed, he said his son would move in. In June, the Residential Tenancy Branch ruled in Kim's favor, saying the tenant's application to cancel a two-month notice to end tenancy for landlord's use of property is granted. Then, two weeks ago, a reversal. Dispute Resolution Services ruled, I find that the landlord successfully established on the balance of probabilities that their adult child intends in good faith to occupy the rental unit. And I grant an order of possession to the landlord effective January 31st, 2024. I couldn't believe it. Kim is hoping to delay the eviction through the courts. Meanwhile, she's desperately searching for housing options as she braces for cancer surgery and chemotherapy. Really scary. I've never been in this kind of situation in my life. The landlord declined to comment. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Living in a tiny home has become increasingly popular, but an Okanagan man has been fighting a three-year battle to keep his tiny home. Ryan King has been living in his home on his 12-acre property near Peachland with his wife and pets for seven years. A neighbor complained to the regional district, though, which has a regulation that using an RV as a permanent dwelling is not allowed. And since the home is on wheels, it's considered an RV. King says he's tried everything to comply with the regulations, but the district continues to fine him. So I think it's outdated and it's just kind of irrational saying that you have to build a house and you can't live in a structure like a tiny home. 
It's like every week we read on the news about, you know, the housing crisis, mortgage rates, inflation, everything like that. And it's like RDCO says that there's a problem. It's, I think I have a solution to the problem. Global News reached out to the regional district of the central Okanagan, but has so far not received a response. Tiny or not, housing is a huge challenge for many British Columbians. High rents and unaffordable homes have many people seeking social housing. As Alyssa Thibault reports, that means growing wait lists. A motorhome up in flames, a tent catching fire, and cooking materials sparking a blaze that claimed a man's life, all in the span of 48 hours in Metro Vancouver this Christmas, and highlighting the very dangerous and desperate situation facing those with no place to live. And in the midst of a housing crisis, new figures are painting a clearer picture of just how great the need is. As of September this year, nearly 19,000 Metro Vancouver households are on the wait list for social housing, an increase of around 3,300 households from last year. Of course, the waiting list for social housing is getting higher, and I promise you that the numbers will get even higher soon. Wendy Peterson works to improve single-room occupancy living in the downtown east side. We've recently lost 100,000 rentals under $1,500 a month in BC, and we're about to lose 200,000 more. It's literally like winning the lottery. <laughs> That's the experience people have. Seniors make up the largest group on the wait list, often on fixed incomes or pensions. The next largest group is families. Imagine yourself 85 years of age and you have to find a place to rent. Uh, you last tried to rent a place 40 years ago and now suddenly you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, 300 people are lining up to try and rent this apartment. Advocates for both groups say part of the challenge is discrimination from some landlords in the private market. Landlords flat out say um, children are too noisy or young children are too noisy or teens cause too much trouble. We understand that housing demand far exceeds supply right across the province. A spokesperson for BC Housing says there are nearly 10,000 homes in the works for Metro Vancouver right now, but it can take years for a project to be complete. We wish we could just snap our fingers and have homes appear. It does take time to build homes. Time those on the wait list may not have. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. And among those hardest hit by the rising cost of living, retirees. They held a small rally in downtown Vernon today to raise awareness about poverty among seniors. They say low-income older adults are struggling to get by on government assistance. Experts say seniors are among those most impacted by inflation. Aaron MacArthur reports. A small but committed group, Vernon area seniors, pointing out what people without company pensions or retirement savings are facing as their costs soar and incomes stagnate. Our poverty line is 25,700 and something and a lot of seniors don't even match that. And the dates are good. For low-income seniors, the math doesn't quite add up. The Canada Pension Plan, or CPP amount, depends on how long someone has worked, but old age security maxes out at $707 a month and peaks at $778 for those 75 and older on lower income. With guaranteed income supplement, the total tops out at $1,057. We need to look at seniors and increase their pensions and give them some respect. Where most seniors feel the pinch is around living expenses. 
rent often more than the pension they live on. My pension is 1763 per month and my rent is 1875 per month. What we want to aspire to. BC's seniors advocate says people who find themselves with a change in living situation can often find themselves homeless as rent has surged around them. Isabel McKenzie urging the government to update the rent subsidy it pays to low-income seniors. The rent supplement is woefully inadequate. Uh, it has not been adjusted to reflect market rents. In a statement, the B.C. government says income-tested tax credits are coming in the spring, one of several items aimed at making life easier for seniors. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, it might come as a surprise to Vancouver residents, but the city has received a high ranking in a global livability index. The index was created by the Economist Intelligence Unit, and it puts the city number one nationally and fifth globally behind Vienna, Copenhagen, Melbourne and Sydney. It comes in spite of challenges such as the housing crisis and the high cost of living. Vancouver also saw one surprising score in one category. It got a perfect mark for health care amid staffing issues in the sector right across the province. Well, Premier David Eby is hinting at a slate of new measures in the new year to help British Columbians with a high cost of living, including a BC Hydro rebate. But as Richard Zussman reports, the opposition says it won't be enough. The presents opened, the turkeys cooked, but in most cases the bills still unpaid. A lot of people in our province are really struggling right now with, uh, with daily costs. British Columbia has the highest cost of living in the country, leading when it comes to housing, gas, clothing and food. And this is in part why the province will be providing relief in the upcoming provincial budget. This is what people should expect, finding ways to support with some of those daily costs that they're seeing or some of those regular costs that they're seeing. In a wide-ranging year-end interview, Premier David Eby pointing to investments the government has made to lower costs associated with childcare and contraceptives and are now looking to BC Hydro to provide a direct rebate to customers. One of the reasons why we like hydro rates, for example, is if we uh, provide some relief through hydro rates, uh, because it's a regulated sector, the rates will stay uh, at the lower rate and people will actually be able to enjoy the benefit instead of an oil and gas company enjoying the benefit. BC Hydro rates are expected to go up next year, but below the rate of inflation. That's because the company has been making money. But those good times may soon dry up. Drought has hit BC leading to river levels lower than normal and dams producing less electricity. We may start to have to consider uh, raising the price of our electricity because it's becoming a scarce resource. BC United also floating affordability measures, suggesting removing carbon tax from home heating and removing provincial taxes at the pumps. We will eliminate permanently the fuel taxes, provincial fuel taxes in British Columbia, which right away will provide 15 cents a litre reduction for most families. The exact affordability measures will come in mid-February's budget, with additional cost of living supports expected from government before next October's provincial election. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now. Uh, Keith, we heard from Rick McCandless and Richard's story suggesting BC Hydro's good fortune may be running out. 
Yes, indeed. So Rick uh, has intervener status at the BC Utilities Commission regarding all things regarding to ICBC and BC Hydro. Interesting papers the last couple of weeks point out what uh, would pay for a rebate for hydro. It's certainly not going to be hydro, but could the carbon tax increase set to uh, kick in on April 1st paid? Here's how the numbers break down from Rick's point of view. The, the carbon tax increase will generate about $600 million. If $400 million is applied to residents, about 2 million uh, residents of BC Hydro customers, that's about $200 per household. That's about $16.66 a month. Commercial users get more because there's far fewer of them. They'd work out to about $445 or $37 a month. But BC Hydro is not going to be the one paying and footing the bill here. It's going to have to be something like the carbon tax because this is how Hydro's numbers break down. You heard Richard talk about the drought situation. It's really having a hammering effect on BC Hydro situation. 47% decline in power generation between July and September. That's a potential $500 million loss. To put that in perspective, that's the equivalent to roughly an 8% rate hike. So BC Hydro's finances are in a serious situation right now because of the doubt, the drought, the electricity is not being generated. More importantly, it's not in a position to sell electricity south of the border where they make upwards of a billion dollars a year. So if there's going to be a reduction in BC Hydro rates, it's going to have to come from somewhere else other than BC Hydro. All right, thanks for that, Keith. All right. One of Canada's most endangered species is making a comeback. I think it's incredible that people from across Canada have banded together to, again, literally save a species from extinction. The baby boom helping the Vancouver Island marmot bounce back and why the threat is still there. That's next on the News Hour. Anyone that's like of my age and grew up in Canada, you say the word reboot and you kind of just watch their life flash before their eyes. For the love of Reboot, the 90s era series that helped raise a generation and the two filmmakers trying to bring it back to life. That's still to come tonight. Plus, what's so special about this orca calf spotted in the waters off Washington State? That's later. Right now, though, an ambitious B.C. program dating back a quarter century to save one of Canada's most endangered species seems to be paying off. Paul Johnson has the details on a baby boom among Vancouver Island marmots. This cargo would definitely qualify as handled with care. Landing high up in the Nanaimo Lakes area north of Lake Cowichan this past summer, you're watching part of the decades-long project to revive one of Canada's most endangered mammals. Unfortunately, beginning sometime in the late 80s and through the 90s and early 2000s, the population really crashed. As the name suggests, the Vancouver Island marmot is a distinct species found only in the alpine meadows of the island's central mountains. The causes of its decline are numerous and include climate change and habitat loss. By 2003, there were only 30 of them left and the certainty that something needed to be done. If we don't save this species, nobody else will. So biologists and volunteers got to work. From a captive stock of marmots, they started bringing them back to the mountains, sometimes by chopper, sometimes on foot. Now, heading into 2024, there's good news to report. And over the last couple of years, we've actually had sites that the marmots have established themselves, rather than us putting them there. The latest count has the Vancouver Island marmot population now at over 300, a tenfold increase from its low point. And even more hopeful, 
59 pups were born in the wild this year, according to field surveillance and the various tech they're using to track them. A group of uh, hibernating marmots. The island marmot still needs plenty of help, though. 60 more will be released next year, and they'll continue to follow them closely in the years to come. But as this marmot's first experience back in the wild shows, the program works, and they've got a shot at survival. We are ecstatic that the population has done this well this past year. Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, an apology from the family of the man accused in a double stabbing in Olympic Village. This is actually quite a terrible situation for us right now. What we're learning about the 21-year-old facing charges as he makes an appearance in court. Plus, what could be some good news at the pump in 2024? Next. We're learning more tonight about the man charged in a double stabbing in, Olymp in, in Olympic Village. His brother sharing an all-too-familiar story with our Kristen Robinson, saying the 21-year-old was struggling with mental health issues in recent weeks and the family had encouraged him to get help. This is Sheldon Ilbegi Asley seven years ago, playing guitar at a local music studio's summer concert. Now 21, Ilbegi Asley remains in custody, charged with robbery and assault with a weapon in connection with a Boxing Day Facebook marketplace heist in Olympic Village. This is actually quite a terrible situation for us right now. Ilbegi Asli, described by his older brother as a smart kid with his father's ability to learn, is accused of pepper spraying a seller and trying to steal a computer graphics card before stabbing two good Samaritans who chased him down. I uh, honestly feel really bad for the uh, victims who got uh, injured within the assaults. Uh, so personally, as uh, his brother, I'd like to apologize. Does Sheldon need help or? Yes, he definitely needs help, but uh, he won't get it. Shamar Elbegi Asli says his younger brother has been struggling with substance use and his mental health started to deteriorate before their father, who he describes as the pillar of the family, passed away last month. He says he wasn't surprised to learn of the charges. I knew uh, at his mental state eventually what's going to happen. We tried to push him to get help, but uh, at the end of the day, he's an adult. He is his own person and he has to get help for himself. It's not easy to get help because, of course, there's a lot of stigmas, and I find these stigmas actually affect my brother a lot. The Crown is seeking to keep Ilbegi Asli in jail when his bail hearing resumes Friday. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Gas prices are expected to fall in the new year. Experts predict motorists will be spending around three cents a liter less at the pumps compared to this year. Patrick DeHaan with Gas Buddy says the gas industry is showing signs of recovery after the impact of the pandemic and Russia's war in Ukraine. But DeHaan reminds us changes in the economy could mean prices will go back up. If we start to see the economy growing faster, that could mean more demand for gasoline and could mean upward potential for prices. But so far, supply is looking fairly good as oil inventories globally continue to improve ahead of uh, the summer driving season. Dahan says if refinery issues do come up before some of the year's major driving holidays, then Vancouver gas prices could jump above $2 a litre. But he's hopeful we won't reach the same highs we saw during the summer of 2022. 
Up next, a tragedy on the Ottawa River. I highly doubt that any ice at this point is safe ice. One teen is dead and another missing after falling through thin ice. Also, the proposed class action lawsuit in Canada for cantaloupe-related salmonella. That's still to come. One teen is dead and another is missing after falling through the ice on Ottawa's Rideau River on Wednesday night. It comes as people across the country have dealt with a warmer holiday season, resulting in tragedies in Ontario, Quebec and Alberta. Kyle Benning has more. It's a holiday nightmare for families in the capital region. Four teens went out for a skate on the Rideau River Wednesday night and fell through the ice. First responders say two were able to pull themselves out and were treated in hospital. But police search teams recovered the body of a third and are still searching for the fourth. I highly doubt that any ice at this point is safe ice that is really frozen. A balmy winter has taken Canada by storm. The Life Saving Society says while most drownings take place during summer months, about a third of them happen between October and May. Most of these are related to ice incidents. So people venturing out on the ice or, you know, people on snowmobiles, things related to winter activities around the water. And Ottawa is not an outlier. On Thursday, daily highs across the country hovered near freezing, if not above zero. And for outdoor rec to be considered safe, sustained freezing conditions are required. It is from coast to coast to coast. Canadians have the same question. Where is winter? In Quebec, rescue teams have been searching for about a week for a four-year-old girl in what officials are now calling a recovery mission. In Alberta, three members of the Pelsma family died after likely falling through the ice while using their UTV near Lac St. Anne on Christmas Day. And a 61-year-old man died after falling into the Bow River west of Calgary. Police believe he was taking pictures of the mountains. You could become disoriented and even falling over maybe one or two feet from maybe where you fell in, like the hole, would be very hard if disoriented or you hurt yourself or hit your head to know how to get back out. Officials say before stepping onto the ice, people should check it is at least 15 centimeters thick for one or two people and 25 centimeters thick for vehicles. Kyle Benning, Global News. A Montreal man is seeking to launch a class action lawsuit following a week-long hospital stay fighting cantaloupe-related salmonella. Lawyers allege the man in question became severely ill after he ate cantaloupes from a Mexican producer called Malachita. Quebec was hardest hit by the outbreak with 111 confirmed cases. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency issued food recall warnings for melons produced by the company. Recalls have also been issued for melons by Ruby brand, grown in the same area of Mexico. A total of 164 people have reported the illness across Canada, including seven deaths. More than 17 cases have been reported here in B.C. Well, now that the holidays are over, treadmills are running and weights are clanging at fitness facilities across the region. But business is still not what it used to be before COVID. That has some gyms pivoting their business plans. Shelley Steves reports. People are already getting their post-holiday sweat on, trying to get back into the fitness groove. Let's go. But as we head into 2024, some fitness centers across Canada are still trying to recover post-pandemic. It definitely hurt. It was not an easy time at all. Um, we had 206 members at the time, and we have yet to recover from that. Um, but we have, we have made progress since uh, our lowest point. 
According to a report recently released by Made in Canada, the fitness industry experienced a near one-third decline in revenue in 2020. The hardest hit were the fitness facilities, which have also been the slowest to recover. But things are finally picking up. We've seen a surge starting in August uh, of just this year, and we hope that trend continues to surge uh, into the new year. With some fitness facilities across the country forced to close for good, Kevin Wood feels like one of the lucky ones. Closed for several months during the pandemic shutdowns, Wood believes that gyms were unfairly vilified as super spreaders. It's a stigma he's still trying to overcome, which is why he's keeping some COVID precautions in place permanently. We called them our COVID squares and allowed people to stay 12 feet apart from each other. Uh, we actually just kept them because it kept everybody organized. When a new person would come in, they just know where to go. I like having our own little space. We Now we have all communal spaces for the weights again and everything, but we do wipe down everything and there's more you know, awareness of hand sanitizing. Since COVID stats also show nearly three in four Canadians say they prefer the convenience of exercising from home. Online training, which kept Wood afloat during the pandemic, has become a mainstay of his business plan. We still do online training for people so that if they did develop a home gym, we can still be a part of their program. Shelley Steves, Global News, Moncton, New Brunswick. Still to come, one of Canada's highest civilian honours, the newest BC appointees to the Order of Canada, and the newest member of the family for a family of endangered orchids next. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has been hard at work in 2023 and you can catch some of her best stories of the year tonight and Saturday on BC One at 10 p.m. Well, the latest appointees have been named to the Order of Canada, including nine from B.C. Among the inductees from our province, Chinatown Foundation Chair Carol Lee and Linda M. Perry, who advocates on behalf of those living with disabilities, both named as members. As well, B.C.'s first Indigenous Lieutenant Governor Stephen Lewis Point was named an officer of the Order of Canada. This is one of Canada's highest honours, recognizing those who've made extraordinary contributions to the nation. All right, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at the weather forecast. And I have had uh, no need for my brand new winter coat so far this winter, Christy. <laughs> Yeah, you should have bought it in a La Nina year. That would have been a better idea, Sophie. Yes, yeah, so it has been very mild all December long. Today, no different. We hit double digits, 12 degrees in Metro Vancouver, Abbotsford, Victoria. Typical for this time of year is five. So we're seven degrees above seasonal across coastal regions. And some areas in the interior are 10 degrees above seasonal. Look at this, Quinell hitting nine degrees and potentially 10 expected there tomorrow. And it's all because of this strong southerly or southwesterly flow that we've continued to see time and time again. And the system that we're going to see make its way across our region is mainly impacting Vancouver Island. We're just on the outer edge of it. Today, though, we didn't see as much sunshine as we were hoping or drier weather anyways, because this shifted a little bit into our region. And that's a tough call as we head into tomorrow. Also, the bulk of the rainfall will be across Vancouver Island, Central Coast and North Coast area. However, for our region, we're just on the outer edge. So at this point, if you see some breaks of blue sky, 
outside, get out there and enjoy it, but definitely don't leave without your rain jacket because we'll see some rain at times throughout the day tomorrow as we're just on the outer edge of that. All right, so here's a look at your forecast. Definitely wet and windy for the north and central coast. Sunshine for those of you in the central interior region. Some cloud cover in through the south, but still dry and mild. You are going to see temperatures come down as you head into the um, sort of New Year's period. And for our region, again, chance of showers. We'll see hopefully some breaks of blue sky, but overall, uh, we still have that chance of showers throughout the day and certainly on Saturday as the front pushes across the region. New Year's Day or New Year's Eve day and New Year's Day not looking too bad, Sophie. We do have a few showers, but overall it's mainly dry. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Victoria. This is from the Gordon Bay area. I like that name. And um, I'm not sure if it's Jean or Jean, but either way, beautiful shot. Thanks so much for sharing. It is lovely. Thank you, Christy. An endangered orca pod appears to have welcomed a brand new arrival this week. The Centre for Whale Research says photos taken on Boxing Day show a new calf swimming with J-Pod off Washington State. The calf wasn't present in other recent encounters, which means it's probably just a few days old. It was observed near one adult female orca who has not yet had a calf. Researchers believe she is the likely mother. It's unclear whether the calf is male or female. And I know Squire's wondering, what do you get for the baby orca? I was just going to say, those researchers are good if they can tell the big whale's a female just by the fin. <laughs> it's pretty good. Well, they're the experts. So. They are the experts. All right, what do you have coming up? Well, um, tonight's game at Rogers Arena is a battle of the who would have thought that would have happened teams. Two of the biggest surprises this year, the Canucks and the Flyers. Um, I think, you know, I don't think anybody believed Philly was going to be where they are. They're one of the best teams in the league. You can say the same about the Canucks. Philadelphia's in a playoff spot right now. They're not quite up to where the Canucks are, but they have beaten Vancouver already this season. Also tonight. We're never not going to be talking about reboots no. <laughs> even after this is done. The Reboot Generation, how two mega fans are trying to revive the show and the key piece of equipment they need to do it. happening well I was told to push the laptop to my right that's okay I think people <laughs> understand you have a laptop at your disposal it's so that I can do some online shopping see while you do sports you are a multitasker <laughs> I'm not really doing that I know they don't know but I <laughs> uh, but it's good you uh, clarified that both the Vancouver Canucks and Philadelphia Flyers belong in the pleasant surprise category of this NHL season John Tortorella has Philadelphia playing great. It's a team that doesn't have a lot of top-end talent. And, of course, Rick Tockett, a member of the Flyers Hall of Fame, I should have. Add, I make that, make that. I should add, make that. He has the Canucks, of course, tied with the Rangers atop the NHL in points. Now, the Flyers did shut out Vancouver back in October, and Tockett feels these two teams are closely matched in a lot of ways. Um... I just think like both teams, like I think they both both of those teams have a little chip on their shoulder a little bit, and 
Um, I think, you know, I don't think anybody believed Philly was going to be where they are. They're one of the best teams in the league. Um, and I feel like, you know, our team is, you know, chipping away at our identity. So I think it's two teams that have, they're trying to create identity. Um, and now it's a new season for me. Like after the Christmas starts, you know, everything zeroes to me. And I think that's our approach. And um, I liked it because our last two practices, like today and yesterday, were really good. You can tell it's business-like. So um, we'll see how it goes tonight. But I do like the business-like attitude. Now, if someone asked you to name the Canucks' top six defensemen right now, you might have trouble coming up with the name of Noah Juleson. He's a bit of an invisible man, doesn't play as much as the others, rarely shows up in the score sheet, but the coaches have definitely noticed him because he does exactly what they ask him to do. One of our most improved guys, especially the last 20 games. Improved, yes, but trying to find a highlight of Noah Juleson in a Canucks game is not easy, and that's just the way he and the coaches like it. Fly under the radar, do the job quietly but effectively, and then do it again the next shift. Juleson has dressed for the Canucks the last 21 straight games and has become a very dependable defender for Coach Rick Tockett know who you are and I think he knows who he is you know he's a first pass you know as soon as he gets you know as soon as the guy's open give it to him box out you know just don't put yourself in dangerous situations with the puck and if he does that uh, which he has been doing you know most nights he's clean he's clean out there you know very very rarely like I always say his fingerprints aren't over all the chances against I, I very rarely see 47 um, on that chance sheet against which is a good thing. Juleson was a first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens back in 2015, but injuries slowed his early development. And by the time the Canucks acquired him from Florida for Ole Ulevi in 2021, Juleson had spent most of his pro years in the minors. But being in his hometown of Abbotsford did get his career path headed back in the right direction. Just playing the last couple of years when I was in Abbey, just finding my game again and finding my groove. Um, you know, just trying to have confidence again like, like I used to when I was a little bit younger. And this year when opportunity knocked, Juleson was ready to answer. With Carson Soucy out, Juleson got his chance. Working with defensive coach Adam Foote, Juleson sharpened his game to fit what's needed at the NHL level. Just playing fast was the biggest thing. Uh, even though it's you know practice and there's only two of us out there, you can still create good habits and have uh, you know play fast hockey out there and work on little things, you know, little chips off the glass and fast hockey. You need to figure out as a D-man how do you solve problems on the ice for you and within your capabilities. So I think that he's done a fantastic job of that this season and his time here has been very, very well deserved. So I couldn't be happier for him. And being paired with a veteran like Ian Cole doesn't hurt either. They've been steady at five on five and the penalty kill. Juleson is a solid plus six so far in December. But he and Cole are still in search of their first goals as a Canuck. Is there a friendly bet between you and Ian about who's going who's gonna to score first? No, there's not. Uh, we don't even talk about it. You know, we're, we're trying to do what we can for the group, and I think that's uh, you know, trying to be a more of a shutdown pair, and you know, if, if the points come, they'll come, but it's not a big deal for us. Bruce, there it is. Bruce Boudreaux, of course, running Canada's team at the Spangler Cup, and it looked good today for Canada. John Quenville, a former first-rounder of the New Jersey Devils, scored to make it 3-1 for the Canadians after two periods, but Canada played a bit loose in the third, kind of reminded me of the Canucks sometimes under Boudreaux. And Kelly Anderson scores here. Three goals in the third for H.C. Davos, and they win it 4-3. to three. Uh, Canada plays 
Kalpaw of uh, Finland tomorrow in the quarterfinal. North Vancouver's Cam Alexander. This is a downhill race today in Bormio, Italy, World Cup event. This is a tough track. It's one of the longer ones on the circuit. It's an icy one. It's a windy one. But Alexander, who won bronze at the World Championships, was able to hang on for a podium finish. Third place, Cyprian Sarazen of France won the gold, but Cam gets a bronze around his neck. And the Super G, I think, is tomorrow on the same track in Bormio, which I believe is not too far from Switzerland. Okay. There you go. That's Thank you, my Squire. Geography for today. Up next, children of the 90s, this one's for you. The effort to reboot a YTV classic. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, another problem with the Boeing 737 MAX. That's the jet that crashed twice soon after being put into service, killing 346 people. It's been flying again since 2020 without further incident and is very popular with Canadian carriers, WestJet, Flair and Air Canada. Now Boeing is telling all airlines to inspect their MAX planes for a loose bolt. We'll have details at 11. Plus, more from the company involved in today's overpass collision in Delta and the immediate retraining they say their drivers will undergo. The affected stretch of southbound Highway 99 will remain closed overnight. Sophie? All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. If you were a teenager growing up in Canada in the 90s, chances are you were a fan of the show Reboot. As Troy Charles reports, a pair of hardcore fans is now creating a documentary on the series in hopes of having it rebooted. In 1994, a first-of-its-kind TV show hit Canadian airwaves. No one knows for sure, but I intend to find out. Reboot! Created by Vancouver-based Mainframe Studios, Reboot ran for four seasons and was the world's first half-hour computer-animated TV series. Fully charged. The show was a ratings juggernaut for YTV. There's an entire generation of kids that grew up on YTV in Canada that just have the show kind of like permanently ingrained in their mind. Now longtime friends Jacob Weldon and Raquel Lynn, who met online in a reboot fan form, are becoming first-time documentary filmmakers, setting out to tell the story and bring recognition to their favorite show. We were pushing the machine and ourselves to do something that nobody had ever seen before. Although it hasn't been easy, especially trying to locate the show's masters. There are some thoughts and concerns that the tapes didn't exist. But after graciously being allowed to peruse the mainframe studio archives, the duo hit the jackpot. Roughly 200 tapes ready to be digitized. But wait. If we could get a deck to play these, they would look beautiful. <laughs> Finding a deck to play the rare D1 tapes has been challenging. Most places that had this format back in the day have, you know, retired their equipment. So earlier this month, a call out was put on social media and the response was immediate. I can't tell you how many people have commented, DM'd us, emailed us, just trying to help um, people from all over the world. However, that D1 tape deck remains elusive. So if there's anyone watching in the Vancouver area that has a D1 deck, please let us know. <laughs> the Reboot Rewind documentary is set for release next summer, hopefully containing those master tapes 
and providing these reboot superfans with some closure. Troy Charles, Global News. Interesting. I mm -hmm. have reel-to-reel -reel tape and I have nothing to... I also have DVDs and VHS tapes and nothing to right? play them on. I still have my VHS player. Do you? Like, I do. do you? I don't ever break it out, but I have one just in case. In case all the other formats break down, I still have VHS. Well Way done, to Squire. stay safe there. Yeah. That's right. I'll give Old you my school. VHS tapes, all my copies of Friends. <laughs> That's it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us all.